Uh, it's very nice to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We uh, together lead this amazing church, the Southwest London Vineyard. Uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3. Uh, while you're doing that, uh, if you're new here or you're visiting, you're, first of all, you're very, very welcome. It's great to see you here this morning. Uh, in one of the chairs around you, you'll see these black pouches. And in, in there, you'll see this green connect card thing. And if you are new, if you are visiting, or if you're sitting next to someone who's new or someone who's visiting, will you encourage either yourself to fill it out or encourage them to fill it out, uh, hand it into the sound desk, and, and we can get in touch with you, we can invite you to all kinds of things that are going on across the church. You're not signing your life away, we're not going to sell your data, we're not going to do anything terrible with it, but it helps us to connect with you and you with us and find out if this is the church that the Lord would have you be part of. So um, if you've not filled out one of those, uh, please can I encourage you to do that. Uh, so, Philippians chapter 3, this morning we're carrying on our series that we've been doing over the last uh, many months uh, for a very short book on the, the book of Philippians. We've got to uh, sort of around halfway through chapter 3, and uh, chapter 3 is essentially Paul, uh, in so many ways, uh, encouraging us and uh, exhorting us in the midst of all of the things that we may be facing, in the midst of all the challenges we may find ourselves facing, essentially what Paul's doing is kind of saying, grow up. It's sort of how Paul is encouraging us, exhorting us to grow up, how to get a proper perspective, a proper perspective on both how we um, view our lives and, and how we view ourselves. And so in, in chapter 3, it starts in, obviously in verses 1 through to verse 11, and we've got Paul here talking about his past. And the way he describes his past, actually, in verse 7, he says, whatever were gains to me, whatever was to my profit, whatever I thought was useful, I now consider it all a loss. That's how he's describing his past. And then in verses 12 to 16, he talks about his present. Uh, and he, remember, he's in chains He's in prison somewhere, and, and he's talking about his present and how in spite of his chains, uh, he says how he's going to, in verse 12, press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then in the last couple of verses, Paul talks about the future. As he describes, he talks about this, this thing, of this citizenship in heaven. He talks about a citizenship in heaven as we eagerly await a savior from there. And so here's Paul, he's locked up in some cell somewhere, some prison, and he's dispensing wisdom, he's dispensing encouragement to this bunch of Christians, this group of Christians uh, back in the Roman colony uh, at Philippi. And effectively what he's saying is, um, keep things in perspective. I want you to keep things in their right balance, in their right order. And if he'd been writing 20 centuries, 20 centuries later or something, um, he might have said something along the lines of, you know, like, wake up. Sort of like he wants to kind of give us a shake. Wake up. Uh, he, he might have said something along the lines of, the, you do realize, don't you, the truth is, it's sort of like you're living um, in the Matrix. You remember that, you know that film with um, Keanu Reeves? Yeah, you know, Red Pill, Blue Pill. You know, there is no spoon. <laughs> Effectively, what he's saying is, you know, um, what you see isn't necessarily what you get. 
All the stuff that you're seeing around you, it's not necessarily the whole story. In fact, far from it. It's not necessarily the whole picture. There's so much more to this life than that which meets the eye. And, and Paul's kind of going, wake up. Wake up. And so all the stuff that the world holds dear, the, the things that Joe was talking about so eloquently last week, the, the academic successes, the, the great job, the perfect body, the, the healthy bank account, the, the I'm great friends with some random celebrity name-dropping that you know, fills every single page of social media. You know, all the boasting, all the posturing, all the posing that goes on. Paul says in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 3, and I'm just paraphrasing, he, he's basically saying, do you know what? That's not who we are. That's not who we are. Verse 3, it says, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who serve the living God by the Holy Spirit. We are the ones whose boast, our only boast, isn't in what we know. It's in, it's in who we know. It's not in what we know in the world's eyes. It's not in who we know in the world's eyes. It's in Jesus. Because he is the only boast. He is all there really is. He is the only one, the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so we're not to put our hope, we're not to put our trust and our, our faith in our past successes, our past achievements. We're not to go... In our present, we're not to go after the same things that all the people around us are going after. You know, the nice, comfortable life, the easy option, the path of least resistance. We're not supposed to, we're not designed to go after that stuff. According to Paul, what he says in chapter 3 is, all of that stuff, all of it, it's all rubbish. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. In the King James Version, it says, it's all dung. The message version says, it's all dog poo. And so we're to consider all of that stuff rubbish. A complete waste of our time, a complete waste of our efforts, a complete waste of our talents. Because all we're after, all we're really after, is him. And the surpassing knowledge and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what Paul's saying is... That all we really should be pushing uh, in on, all we are really to be going after with our whole hearts is knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Becoming just like him in his death. So, we get all of that. But then at the same time, we recognize that we haven't quite got there yet. Uh, I certainly haven't. Uh, in, in verse 12 it says this, it's, it recognizes that we haven't arrived at our goal and so we press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so we forget what's behind. We strain towards what is ahead as we press on towards the goal so that we can win the prize which, uh, God has, for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so having encouraged us to forget sort of what's behind, and, and to press on instead ahead and press us and push forwards. What Paul's really doing here is essentially calling us into maturity. Uh, he says it in verse 15. He says, all of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. And, and what he's saying really is it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to put off all that childish stuff. It's time to put 
all of those um, pie-in-the-sky dreams and aspirations of, you know, fame and fortune and a Ferrari. He's saying to put it all behind you. Don't waste your time on it. Don't, don't waste your life on it. You were called, you were designed, you were made, you were created for far better things than all of that. It's time to stop spending all your energy going after the wrong things and instead start getting serious about living life God's way. So, Paul outlines something of what it looks like, um, something of what it means to be uh, mature. And I, and I think it all has to do with perspective. It all has to do with having the right outlook, having the right take on things. It, it all has to do with looking at things the way the scriptures teach rather than the way our culture dictates. So why don't we, why don't we have a look at this. Um, Philippians chapter... Um, Philippians chapter 3 why don't we start in let's start in verse 17 actually join with others in following my example brothers and sisters and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you for as I have often told you before and now say again even with tears many live as enemies of the cross of Christ their destiny is destruction Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Uh, Maybe it would be helpful if I gave you a bit of a picture, uh, a metaphor, if you like, of some of the things I think I'm trying to uh, say this morning that will help us get a better perspective, perhaps, on what Paul's driving at here. And the picture is that of, um, of a suspension bridge, like the Golden Gate Bridge here in San Francisco. And imagine that this, imagine that this bridge is like a, a picture of your life. And it's got these two great pillars. These uh, two great pillars, and, and, and then these sort of, it's all held with these two vast uh, cables, all of which keep the whole thing up and together. And it's a, it's a good picture. I think it's a good picture for giving us some, some good, solid, biblical perspective on our lives as followers of Jesus. And the first of these two huge pillars uh, is um, the cross of Christ. Uh, Paul talks about uh, that in verse uh, 18 when he talks about people still being enemies of the cross. He talks about the cross as being uh, central. So the first cross is the cross of Christ. And then the second pillar that we've got, uh, we find out about in verse 20 when Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the first column is the, the first coming of Jesus, the cross. And the second pillar is the second coming of Christ, uh, the return of Christ Jesus. And The reason it's such a helpful metaphor um, for getting perspective on our lives as we grow up towards uh, the maturity that Paul talks about in verse 15 is um, here we are standing on this bridge somewhere. Somewhere between the first pillar, 
the cross of Christ, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and somewhere between there and somewhere between uh, that and the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. And so we stand between the two. We live between two ages, between the cross, the incarnation, the resurrection, and the second coming, the return of Jesus and the fulfillment of the age. We live in this eschatological tension. Okay? Familiar with that. And understanding that, understanding where we stand in history is going to help us to get a, a really good perspective and a really good handle on how we are to live our lives. So you've got these pillars. And then holding this whole thing together, and uh, perhaps more importantly, holding our lives together, are these two vast cables. Uh, and these cables on the, the Golden Gate Bridge, they're, they're more than a, a meter thick. Uh, they weigh over 25,000 tons. There's over 80,000 miles of galvanized steel in these things. They're, they're pretty chunky. Um, and the first cable is, is, our, is our identity. The first cable running on one side is our identity. It's that part of, 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 of who we are um, by way of the fall, by way of original sin. Uh, it's the stuff that we find out about in Romans 3 where Paul says, do you know what? We have all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul touches on, on that, that part of our nature here in verses 18 and 19 in chapter Three of um, Philippians, because verses 18 and verses 19 describe what we were like before we discovered Jesus. They describe our nature influenced and impacted by uh, the fall. Uh, it, it describes our old nature. It describes our old appetites, our, our desires, the old self the Bible talks about. And it's that side of our personalities, that side of our identity, that side of ourselves that we need to deny we recognize that. We, the, the, the thoughts and those attitudes that we need to resist and oppose, um, those actions and the stuff that we do that we know we're supposed to be kind of killing off. The, the things that we do, it's the stuff that we do that we're supposed to stop doing. We want to stop doing. And then in verses 20 and 21 of Philippians chapter 3, what you've got is um, something of this other cable. There's other cable running the span of the bridge. Um, and they're verses that describe who we are by way of redemption. Who we are by way of salvation. Not who we were because of the fall, but who we are becoming by way of the cross. Okay? Just nod politely. And that side, that's, that's the good stuff. That's, uh, that's the part of our nature. That's part of our true identity, a renewed identity in Christ Jesus because we surrendered our lives to him at the cross. That's the part of ourselves and our identity that we need to be affirming, that we need to be blessing, that we need to be feeding, that we need to be nurturing and nourishing regarding ourselves. So we've got these two pillars. We've got the, the cross of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And then these two cables, who we were uh, by nature of the fall, running in parallel with um, who we are by the way of salvation. And on the one hand, by who we were by the nature of the fall is, is, is everything that we're to, to suppress. And the other, who we are and who we are becoming by way of salvation, everything that we're to affirm and to bless and lean into. And if any of you are kind of here this morning and you're 
not sure about this duality of nature that exists uh, in each of us. Um, on the one hand, knowing that we are new creations in Christ, and therefore, because the Bible says so, that, you know, behold, everything is gone, the old is gone, everything has become new. Uh, and yet we find ourselves struggling with this old nature. Just, just think back over your last 24 hours. Just think back of the last 24 hours and, and, and think back to how many times in the last 24 hours you've found yourself struggling with something. Struggling with any one of a whole number of different challenges. Uh, it could be anger. It could be lust. It could be greed. It could be pride. Uh, the, the, there's that seemingly endless list of things that if we're honest, all of us are struggling with on a daily basis. Even Paul, Paul himself, he, he recognized it and he wrestled with it, which is why he wrote Romans um, 7. Romans 7, Romans 7, essentially he says stuff along the lines of, you know, I just don't get it. What I, what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate doing, I do all the time. The message version brilliantly puts it like this. This is Paul writing. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such that they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I, I truly delight in God's commands. Honest. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And then he goes on. He says, isn't that the real question? Isn't that the real question? And then he says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. How, how familiar is that? You know, that, that could have been, you know, in my diary entry every day for the last, I don't know how many years. It's these two cables. It's, it's this, this old self trying to grapple and wrestle and fight with this other new self, the redeemed you and they're sort of battling out. They're sort of like it's like a cartoon cliche. And what Paul does here in these few verses is not only to highlight to us again this age-old battle, this internal war that's waging uh, for and raging for our uh, souls between the old and the new, um, but he's also talking about how we might keep winning those daily battles that we're all facing every single day, if we were honest, um, as we try to work out um, how we choose to live so that we are not doing the things that we don't want to do, but we are doing the things that we do want to do. 
And not only does Paul talk about it, uh, he also gives us a framework to work to to help give us a proper perspective and help keep us on track so that we don't find ourselves stumbling into the stuff that he talks about in verses 18 and 19 with this destiny of destruction so that we don't find ourselves worshipping. You know when he says they're gods of their stomach, basically what he's saying is these are people who just um, worship at the altars of their appetites and their every whim. That's what that means. So that we don't find ourselves um, ending up sort of glorying in our shame. So that we don't find ourselves uh, with our minds set on earthly things. Um, Instead of all of this, Paul says we're to turn our attention to other things. And so when we're struggling, when we're um, losing perspective, when we find ourselves falling foul of these earthly appetites, when we find ourselves turning to quick fixes to make ourselves feel better, you know, uh, the way that we self-medicate, the way each one of us medicates out of our pain and our difficulty by finding something that we quickly turn to. It could be all kinds of things. We each have our own little uh, desires that help make us feel better. Um, What Paul's saying is, why don't you try these things instead? Okay. The first thing that he says is, when you're up against it, when, when that cable of your old self feels like it's taking all of the weight and bearing all of the strain, the first thing he says is, stop, hit the pause button, and take some time to think about your Uh, true citizenship. Remind yourself of your true citizenship. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, this business of citizenship would uh, would have perfectly spoken to the the audience that Paul was writing to, the Philippians um, that he was writing to, because Philippi was um, one of the few Roman colonies in the ancient world. And what that means is uh, somebody was born, they were born outside of the city of Rome, right? And yet, because they were born in Philippi, they would have had the full rights and status of somebody who had been born in the physical city of Rome. Here was somebody that they were born far from the city of Rome. They're born in this remote outpost, Philippi. And yet, because of Philippi's status in the eyes of Rome, they were considered citizens of Rome. And what Paul's saying here is, do you know that that applies to all of us? That applies to all of us. We're, we're born into this world, and it's far away from our actual home. We're far away from home. That's why the Bible talks about us as being aliens and strangers. We're passing through. We are not from here. We are aliens. This is not our home. This is not our birthright. This is not our inheritance. This isn't, this isn't our true residence. We're not to submit and to surrender to the culture and the norms and the values of the world in which we find ourselves because we're residents and we're citizens of another place. And even though we are born far from that place, we still get to enjoy the privileges and the status and the rights of anyone who could have been born in heaven because that's actually our official citizenship. That's our actual right. Peter says that we have the divine in us, the divine nature. If we've been born again, As followers of Jesus, we've been regenerated, renewed, regenerated, reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that process of rebirth, we have become citizens of heaven. Do you notice how the Bible doesn't say in verse 20, it doesn't say our citizenship will be in heaven. It says our citizenship is in heaven. 
And even though, in case you weren't aware, we are not in heaven right now, um, in the same way that the Philippians didn't live in Rome, it's, it's, as if we, um, it's as if we are living in heaven by birth. And this is really important for us to grasp. It's important to grasp and to recognize that our citizenship in heaven isn't just sort of some legal transaction, some sort of um, paper visa document thing. It's actually a, as a result of our birth. It's part of our birth right when we were born again. And um, something is different about every single one of us because the Holy Spirit came into our lives at the moment which we gave our lives to Jesus. And whether we realize it or not, whether we believe it or not, we are very different people to the ones that we were, to that which we were. Yes, I was an enemy of the cross. Before I surrendered and submitted my life to Jesus and I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 15, I was, whether I recognized it or not, an enemy of the cross. Yes, I still have tendencies that still connect me in that direction of the old self. Um, I, 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 I do my utmost and I try my best to deny that part of myself. Sometimes I succeed. Far more often than I succeed, I fail miserably. But as a citizen of heaven, I have certain rights, I have certain privileges, and I have a new status. As a citizen of heaven, we also have new responsibilities. Um, the citizens of the Roman colonies like the Philippines, they had the responsibility of spreading the rule of Rome, of, of, of sharing the culture of Rome, of speaking the language of Rome. And they did that throughout the area that the colony was in. And so the colony was responsible to, uh, for extending Roman rule and Roman culture right throughout the region which it occupied. And we have exactly that same responsibility as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven, living on this colony called Earth, we are, to, we are to infect this colony with the culture of heaven. We're to do exactly the same. We're to extend the rule and the reign and the culture and the language, the tone, the, the everything, of, of, of the values of heaven in the places in which we find ourselves. Uh, as you know, we run a job club on a, on a Tuesday um, at the yard, which is like our community outreach community space in Putney. It's one of the many things that we run from there. Um, somebody a little while ago was talking about the job club, and I think her words were something along the lines, I just love the job club. It's like a little piece of heaven on earth. And when we, receive, when we hear that, we cheer. As the church, we cheer because that's exactly our, that's our mission. That's our mandate. People to say what you're doing, who you are, what you're like. You're, it's like a little piece of heaven on earth. Go, hooray! Result, check. The job club. How bizarre is that? A little piece of heaven on earth. Who'd have thought it? If you want to get involved in a little piece of heaven on earth, if you're free on a Tuesday, go and talk to Peter Hawk. Where's Peter? He's there. He's next to Jenny. This is, this is Peter. Talk to Jenny. Because um, an opportunity to infect, an opportunity to change the culture. And that's the mandate of this church. As a little colony of heaven on earth, our mandate, our mission is to extend the culture of heaven to wherever it is the Lord leads us, through Alpha, through the Alpha groups that you're running, through your home group, through the parenting teenagers group that we're running, all kinds of different things. 
as well as to your neighbours in the schools and the highways and byways, and you get that. And, and wherever it is that you find yourself, touch that place, touch that person with a new language, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating. So when we're battling with our old nature, when we're finding ourselves struggling in these daily battles that we all face, hit, take a moment to hit the pause button and remind yourself of your true citizenship. That you're no longer under the law, or you're no longer under the rules and the regulations of the culture that's informing the choices that you're making and the decisions that you're about to take to do something reckless and stupid that you really don't want to do. Remind yourself that actually you're not under that rule and reign. You're under the rule and reign of a different kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Remind yourself of your true nationality. Remind yourself of your true citizenship. And that's going to help us gain a much better perspective on life. Okay, that's the first thing. So remind yourself of your true citizenship. While you're doing that, um, recognize your true identity. Recognize your true identity. Verse 20 again. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Part of the difficulty, I think, that we have when we are right up against it, uh, when we're trying to beat some constant struggle that we are facing, or when we find ourselves, um, I don't know, living life just like everybody else that we know who lives around us, whether they know Jesus or whether they don't know Jesus, Part of the difficulty, I think, is that we don't really know who we are. We don't really know who we really are. And some of that's helped by reminding ourselves of our citizenship. Um, but much of it is, is really helped by properly understanding our true identity. And Many of us, I think, haven't really grasped that we, we take our identity not only from our past, um, not only from our present, but when you look at the scriptures, when you read the Bible, you see that Christians um, actually really take their sense of self, their sense of who they really are, actually not from their past and not from their present, but from their future. They take their identity from their future, what, what you might call our destiny. Because when we get a handle on who we really are, as we come to grips with what we're called to be, so many of the struggles that we're facing, they just kind of fall away. We find ourselves facing an age-old battle that we've been facing for years and years, and suddenly we go, do you know what? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like doing that anymore because it's, it's actually it's not who I really am. That old guy might have done that, but do you know what? I'm, I'm different. I, I, I feel different. I've got a different sense of identity, a different sense of purpose, a different destiny. I'm called to something much better than that. Why would I waste my time on doing that kind of stuff? I don't want to do it. And so rather than it being like this constant struggle, it kind of actually just falls away because it's like, that's not me anymore. I don't do that stuff. Because our destiny, and as, our fo as followers of Jesus... Our destiny, our future, our calling is to be completely changed. Our, our calling, our destiny, our future is to become completely like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are on that bridge and we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus as every minute and as every day goes by. And so this body um, that we have will be, praise Jesus, a glorious body. 
And not this, it's not like this body of humiliation, which is exactly, that's the translation in verse 21. Our bodies are bodies of humiliation. We're going to have new, resurrected, super bodies. Yay! That will work properly. And they're going to be like Jesus' body. When Jesus comes back, second, second tower, fulfillment of the age, everything is going to be completely and utterly transformed. The last trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will all be changed. In the twinkling, in the moment of an eye. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We've got this glorious future ahead of us. Okay, so um, I hope you're hanging in there with me. Um, and it's so glorious, our future is so glorious, C.S. Lewis wrote about it, and he said this. Listen to this. He said, there are no ordinary people, at least not amongst Christians. And it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible, potential gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw them then, you would be strongly tempted to worship them. There are no ordinary people, at least among Christians, and it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw him or her then, you might be strongly tempted to worship them. Do we realize that we're going to be changed so much? We're going to be changed so completely. We're going to be so glorious that if someone were to see us now, as we're going to be then, they would be tempted to worship us. Scary. And we kind of go, <laughs> I don't think so. You know, who me? I don't, I, I think, that maybe I can see that about somebody else, but I, not me. Um, who am I? You have no idea how many problems I've actually got. Right? I mean, I've got, and I've got serious problems. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, yes, you. You, 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 you. Every single one of us. By virtue, not of ourselves, not of our goodness, not of our greatness, not of our brilliance but because of the cross. Uh, you are someone for whom the Lord has planned a, a glorious future. It's all part of God's salvation. This is what salvation is. This is what redemption is. This is the redemption plan. You see, to be saved means that we have been um, saved. In the past, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Okay, We have been saved. That's, that's happened. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, and so we won't be condemned um, because our sins have been nailed to the cross, uh, they've been forgiven once for all, the payment, uh, all the guilt, all the shame, it's been taken away and has been paid for by the precious Son of God, Jesus Christ. We've been saved from the penalty of our sins because we surrendered our lives to Jesus at some point in the past. But at the same time, not only have we been saved from our, the penalty of our sin in the past, we are being saved from the power of sin in our present. Right, so like right now, we are, in this very moment, being saved, present, continuous, from the power of sin right at this moment. And so right at this very moment, sin is losing its grip on your life. Even as you sit here and you're going, wow, it doesn't feel like it. By your choice this morning to interrupt Eugene Peterson, to interrupt your preoccupation with yourself, 
and instead to attend to the presence of the Almighty by choosing not to stay in bed, by choosing to come to church, by choosing to see and to be with the fellowship of the believers, by choosing to sit under the scriptures and to listen to the scriptures being taught, however well, however badly, by choosing to stand alongside your brothers and sisters and uh, gaze on the beauty of the Lord in worship, by just doing that, the power of sin is being weakened on your life right now. In a way that's different to had you just stayed in bed. You are being, we are being, right at this very moment, um, transformed. Sin is losing its power on our lives. It's, it's grip on our lives. And its power is being broken over us in a thousand ways. Um, okay, that's the past. That's the present. In the future, so you're, you're in the past saved from the penalty of sin. In the present, you're saved from the, the power of sin. In the future... Finally, once and for all, you will be saved from the presence of sin. Second uh, pillar, after that point, when Jesus comes again, there will be no more sin. It's gone. So the presence of sin will have gone completely. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin. You will be saved from the presence of sin. That's our destiny. That's our future. That's our calling. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. So when you're struggling with this stuff, you're desperately trying to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Hebrews. Tell yourself, uh, okay, hold on. This isn't who I am. My citizenship is in heaven. I don't have to do this anymore. Uh, Somewhere else. Remind yourself uh, of your bright destiny in the future of, of who God is calling you to do. And then lastly, um, remember that your Savior is coming. Remember that your Savior is coming. Uh, next week marks the beginning of the season of Advent. Uh, so we'll be taking a break. You'll be glad to hear from Philippians, uh, but we will come back to it. Um, but Advent, Advent's a time of preparation. It's a time of, of readying ourselves. It's a time of journeying and preparing as we turn our attention towards the coming of the king, the first pillar. It's when we remind ourselves that Jesus came. And so, um, and we look, with Advent, what we do is we look back, actually, to the coming of the king at the, in, in the incarnation. And we look through, like the whole length of the bridge, we look through the first coming, actually onto the second coming, onto the return of the king. And so, Advent is a time where we remember the first coming of the king, but we look forward to the second coming of Jesus, the return of the king. And uh, in verse 20 it says, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, our destiny is eternal, we eagerly await this savior, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the truth of all of this is that the best thing that's going to happen to us all isn't just that our bodies are going to be changed, although that'll be, a, that'll be good. Um, it, it, it's not just that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's not just that in the future we will experience no more pain, there'll be no more suffering. It's not just that we will have this great reunion um, with family and friends and loved ones who have uh, gone to be uh, with Jesus, who've died before us in Christ. You know, our, our grandparents, our parents, um, children, brothers, sisters, siblings, aunts, friends, dear friends. And you get to see all those people again. But all of that's great, but it's not the best thing. You know what the best thing is? The best thing of all, God is with us. 
the best thing of all is that God will be with us. A Savior Jesus Christ is coming for you and me. Uh, John Wesley, on his deathbed, uh, he was lying flat out. He was just about to breathe his last. And he saw Jesus coming to take him home. And uh, he famously sat bolt upright in bed, reached out to the heavens, and famously said, best of all, God is with us. And then, flat on his back, that was it. That was him done. His last words were, best of all, God is with us. And, and then, bang on. He knew what he was talking about. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this, I saw the holy city, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and women, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Best of all, God is with us. How do we keep our perspective? Um, we live in this strange time. We live in this strange place on a bridge between uh, the now and the not yet, between the first pillar of the cross and the second pillar of the second coming of Christ. How, how do we keep our perspective? Well, we live between these two powerful cables of our old self and our new redeemed selves. And, and there are certain things about me that I've inherited from the fall. There are certain uh, compulsions and wishes and desires and all that kind of cravings, whatever you want to call them, in this old uh, nature of mine that I just need to keep denying and walking away from and turning away from and choosing not to feed and to nourish and to press into. And then there are other things about myself, this, this part of my true identity as a renewed new creation of Christ Jesus because of the cross, because of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. And uh, it's those things that I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose to celebrate those things. I'm going to choose to press into those things. I'm going to choose, choose to, to lean into those things because those things are actually a truer reflection of my true self, of my, of my actual real nature and calling and who I am in Christ Jesus. And none of those things have actually got anything to do with my work life or my promotions or my pay or my looks, fortunately, or my body, even more fortunately. There's nothing to do with any of it. That's just tinsel. I've got everything, however, to do with my citizenship, my destiny, and my saviour. Why don't you stand and... Um, We'll see what the Lord wants to do.